hour two. Darren Vaught in for DG on the David Glenn Show. Appreciate Jordan Rodrigue for stopping in and discussing the Panthers' week one loss to the L.A. Rams just a bit earlier. Be sure to go check out her stuff at the Athletic Carolina. As we reverse our attention and look back to the college game now, the big week two that just took place. As at Death Valley, Dabo Sweeney and the number one Clemson Tigers welcomed his old foe, his old ACC foe, Jimbo Fisher, and the Aggies of Texas A&M and won 24-10. to 10. I, I think it was a little bit more dominant than that, but on the national radio call for that was former Miami and NFL quarterback Gino Toretta, now of Touchdown Radio and Sirius XM. And Gino has uh, decided to take the time to join us and talk about it. Gino, welcome to the David Glenn Show. How are you today? All good, all good. Well, uh, you were on the call, as I mentioned. I caught some of you as uh, we were on our way to Chapel Hill for Miami UNC, which I want to get to as well. Don't remind me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, Gino, just from the big picture standpoint, we all went into this past weekend saying A&M is going to be the biggest test for Clemson so far. And the Tigers, I mean, handled them pretty well. It was 24-3 to for a, a large portion of the game until a late score for A&M made it that two-score deficit by the final score. Um, what did you see? Was it any sort of struggle for Clemson? Well, I, I think this. I think they, you know, they, they caused turnovers. The defense, you know, showed up. I, I think that uh, Kellen Mond was very erratic during the game. And, and I thought he had time to make plays. I mean, if you go back and look, the second play of the game should have been touchdown for Texas A&M. Uh, first play should have been about a 20-yard completion, but he threw high from the start through the entire game. Um, I thought when he had time, he still didn't didn't throw the ball accurately. And then defensively, I thought Texas A&M played pretty well because so in the first quarter, if I, if I remember my stats right, Clemson only had the ball for five minutes. And literally, I think they had a two-to-one margin the rest of the game. So I thought Texas A&M's defense held up well for their offense not doing doing anything. Um, and I think what what Clemson showed is, listen, week one, the uh, you know Georgia Tech said we're going to take away the passing game, and you ran all over them. And week two, it looked like Texas A&M was like, all right, we're going to take away ETN. He's not going to he's not going to beat us. And Lawrence and, and some big whiteouts beat them. So I, I think that when you have that luxury of just deciding what the other team's going to take away, whether it's run or pass, and you're just going to do the other, do the opposite and uh, and dominate, I think that uh, that's a nice luxury that Clemson has. Gino Toretta is joining us on the David Glenn Show. And Gino, uh, as a quarterback, you view things still, I would imagine, even from the broadcast booth through a quarterback's eyes. Trevor Lawrence now enters his second year with the Clemson Tigers. Uh, sort of a shaky start to the season, a couple of picks in a, another week one route for the Tigers. Uh, how do you think he held up in this one as he was uh, pretty good, 24 of 35, 268? had that uh, throwing touchdown as well as a rushing score. Well, I think he's solid. I mean, as far as, you know, athleticism, throwing the ball, it's, it's hard to argue he's one of the best in the – not the best in the country. Um, it, it's awful nice as well. I think I think Dabo's made it a prerequisite for his wideouts. They have to be 6'2 or above. So, uh, normally mo that'll give you a height advantage on the outside, which uh, 
which Clemson has. And uh, I think the one thing I was most impressed with, he took a hit uh, like a horse collar illegal tackle at the end, yeah. which we saw Kentucky's quarterback take, and he blew out his knee. And I really thought, I was like, wow, that that is a tackle where, you know, that could have ended somebody's season for sure and, and maybe even somebody's career. And uh, he just he got up, shook it off, and, and didn't bother him one bit. I, I, the only thing I would say is I get his size and his speed and his athleticism, but if that's my guy and that's, you know, who's going to lead my team, I just really don't want him lowering his shoulder and trying to run over defensive backs no matter how much of a size advantage he has when he scrambles. <laughs> Uh, what did Trevor Lawrence listed at what is he six six, uh, just over two hundred pounds, know, something he, like that. My money ticket into a national championship, and I'm saying learn how to slide. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Gino Toretta of Touchdown Radio and Sirius XM is with us. So with that in mind, all right, we've got a durable, uh, very good starting quarterback, maybe the best in all of college football. The depth that you alluded to, both offensively and defensively. Was Texas A&M their, their closest call? I mean, looking at I might need to remind you of what they have left on the schedule, but they're at Syracuse and at North Carolina in two of the next three weeks. They've got Wake Forest in ACC play as well as Boston College, but both of those are at home. And then at NC State and at South Carolina to finish off the regular season. Uh, I mean, is this as tough as it's going to get? I would. I mean, based on paper, I would say yes. I, I, you know, and, and looking back, I think I think they have 13 preseason All ACC selections, and number two was four with Syracuse, and number three was three with Miami. So yep. there's a talent edge that that Clemson has, no matter what, going through the rest of the season. Based on the first two weeks on that schedule that they have, I'd probably say the only one that you know, the one of the ones that would scare me the most would probably be North Carolina, maybe not by personnel. But just based on the fact of you got Mac Brown and apparently he's got his guys believing early and, and you know, confidence in, in, in a college football player is a dangerous thing because if, if, if you if you come out the gate and, and you're hot and the other team isn't, uh, it can be it, it can be a long night for anybody. But uh, yeah, based on that, they should have a talent advantage the rest of the season. Uh, and barring injury, the only thing I would probably say, you know, their their lack of they probably have a lack of depth in the front seven, just because losing, you know, three first rounders and the, and the other kid was a third or fourth round pick. Yeah. So I would probably say just the lack of depth, you know, in that front seven would be the only thing that would concern me. Maybe if they have an injury or two. Uh, you mentioned that matchup at North Carolina. Clemson will head to Chapel Hill. That's at Keenan Stadium Saturday, September twenty eighth. And it brings me to maybe a more sour subject for you, Gino, from the weekend that was, uh, because you won a Heisman Trophy, were part of a national championship team with the Miami Hurricanes, and a lot of buzz surrounding the Canes. And I think it's it's justified with Manny Diaz in his first season as their head coach. Lost a close one at Keenan Stadium in Chapel Hill on Saturday night. Uh, how do you assess so far the Manny Diaz era in Miami? Well, I think the, the positive is we finally found a quarterback after what seems like a, a, a dearth for a number of years, a guy playing under center in, in, in an elite level. Uh, kind of disappointing thing is is really, you know, to win games and whether you're playing Clemson or somebody else, you've got to have all three phases of the game, offense, defense, and special teams. I mean, our special teams gave up a couple touchdowns the, the, the first week against Florida. Our kickers missed three field goals, a couple extra points in two weeks. 
uh, you know, when you're playing on the road, those those things are going to hurt you. And and I think that that they have. Um, you know, they they fought hard and they've they've been competitive. Uh, but you know, to get a team fourth and seventeen on the last drive and and still give that up and and let the team continue to march down the field and score and win the game um, is just something that I would say great teams don't do. But you got to credit you know Mac Brown for for what he's done and and you know you can't evaluate you know the the their 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 season right now on last season obviously based on because they're they're playing a heck of a lot better. Uh, than they did a season ago, and and uh, like I said, it's college football, and that's why we love it and when we watch it because anything happens on on Saturdays. But disappointing for Miami to start. Uh, well, Gino Toretta, consensus All American in your days with the Miami Hurricanes, now with Touchdown Radio, Sirius XM. So check him out on a weekly basis as an analyst on various national broadcasts uh, around the country. Gino, really do appreciate your time today. Thanks for stopping by. Sounds good. All right, that's Gino Toretta, formerly of the Miami Hurricanes, five-year career in the NFL. Again, my thanks to him for stopping by. He does a great job uh, with the analyst work. Like I said, I heard a bit of that national broadcast on our way to Chapel Hill on Saturday of Texas A&M and Clemson. And uh, especially, I think it's the, the popular thing is to have a quarterback up in the booth so you can analyze that part of the game. And uh, he did a great job breaking down Trevor Lawrence throughout that broadcast. It was part of one of the reasons for his invite to join us here on the David Glenn Show today. Uh, we talk, we've talked a lot about Mac Brown, North Carolina's win over Miami at Keenan Stadium. If you're tired of it, sorry, we got Jones Angel coming up on the other side. He's the voice of the Tar Heels to talk about Mac being back. Jones joins us next on the David Glenn Show. Gary Player joining us. This morning I did 1,300 sit-ups and crunches. Wow. I pushed 300 pounds with my legs and I ran on the treadmill. You are one of the legends of golf and you've been an inspiration as a person as well. What a nice compliment and God bless America. You're listening to The David Glenn Show. Welcome back into the David Glenn Show. Darren Vaught with you in for DG. You know, prior to this whole Mac is back thing, Charles Hadley on the other side of the glass, admirably, admirably filling in for me over on that side as I'm normally on the ones and twos with DG in. Prior to this Mac is back stuff, I would have told you that Return of the Mac by Mark Morrison was maybe the greatest song ever. So when we started playing it for everything Carolina themed, I don't. I, I I thought I would never get tired of it, but Charles, I don't know, man. You're, you're laying it on maybe a little thick, maybe a little thick. I kid, of course. Appreciate you uh, filling in for me over on that side of the glass today, as it was a 28 to 25 victory at Keenan Stadium in Chapel Hill for the Heels and the voice of those North Carolina Tar Heels, Jones Angel, joins us now to discuss. The big victory and the two and O start. Jones, my man, how are you today? Darren, I'm doing great, man. Appreciate you having me on. And you know that song, it plays in the in the elevators at Keenan Stadium. They've got a like a little Carolina mix that plays there in the <laughs> in the elevators, and that one's on in the rotation as well. So it is it is prevalent around uh, Keenan Football Center. But 
I'm doing great. Uh, you know, obviously an exciting win uh, for the Tar Heels this past weekend, and now a quick turnaround against a really good team. They'll see Wake Forest, of course, uh, on Friday night over in Winston-Salem, and uh, looking forward to seeing the Deeks. That is a Friday night matchup for North Carolina, and our first matchup amongst big four schools, despite the fact that it's not going to be credited as a conference game. Jones, we've asked the question because I think it's an important question entering today and entering this week because at the onset of the season, I don't know that we would have expect Carolina to be in this mix, but I, I'm, I'm struggling to identify which of the big four schools is the best college football team right now because 2-0 and for Carolina, 2-0 and for Wake Forest, 2-0 and for NC State, and then Duke is 1-1 and despite its only loss being to Alabama. They came back in a big way against a tricky FCS opponent in NCA&T and, and dominated that one. So at, at the beginning of the season, Jones, did you expect come Wake Forest week that we would be having this type of conversation when it comes to Mac Brown's heels? Yeah, that's a good question, Darren. I don't know. You know, first I'll say, you know, I don't know if I'm if I'm the right person to ask that question just because I haven't seen State and Duke and Wake sure. play very much. Um, I, I certainly know that these are important games for the Tar Heels. You know, they feel like that winning these in-state games is a big step forward for them, and it's something that they'd like to do to start building to the point where they want to be. Mac Brown does not feel like Carolina can be as good as it as it can be without being the dominant team in the state and, and winning those games. And so I do know that these games are important for the Tar Heels. You know, would I have expected Carolina to be in the conversation this early? I don't know. I mean, I, I don't – Carolina's schedule is hard, and it's not getting any easier. But, but what I do think is that Carolina has as quality a resume at this point as anybody out there. I know Clemson certainly has two really good wins as well, but to not only be 2-0, and but to be 2-0 and against Power 5 teams and, and to be one of those wins to be a conference win and a divisional win in the case of the Tar Heels, um, I think is pretty impressive. And so, you know, it doesn't get any easier at Wake and then a really good App State team in Clemson comes uh, to Keenan Stadium. So uh, Carolina is, is just pleased to be where it is at this point. Um, but I think they also understand that there's a lot of things that they can do better to, to get to where they want to go. Jones Angel, the voice of the Tar Heels, is with us here on the David Glenn Show. And uh, I just saw Sam Howell named this week's uh, quarterback and rookie of the week in the ACC. He had a, a really great night, including leading that fourth quarter drive that secured it with the game-winning touchdown before the defense made a stop. Uh, as a true freshman, sort of a late ad, I know there are some of those a little bit of everywhere as Mac Brown stepped into the position and got with it right away as far as recruiting is concerned. Uh, can you pinpoint Sam's impact outside of being reliable at the quarterback position? I mean, is there anything uh, tangible elsewhere or intangible that he provides this team other than obviously putting up great numbers? Yeah, I think a couple of different things. One, yeah, I think Sam Howell is, it was bigger for Carolina than just a late get in recruiting. I mean, remember, he was uh, committed to Florida State uh, for a long time and, and was considered one of the top, you know, two or three players in the state of North Carolina. And so to be able to get that, that verbal commitment to flip and then eventually to get him to sign with Carolina, I think was an important step 
because I'll go back to an answer I, I gave you a few minutes ago, and that's about the importance of, of the in-state aspect of what the Tar Heels want to do. And, and a lot of that is about the recruiting and getting the best players in the state of North Carolina to, to stay in the state and to play for the Tar Heels. And so I, I think getting Sam to make that flip was just an early sign of, hey, you know, Carolina's back in this um, and that they're going to be heavily involved with the best guys in the state of North Carolina. So that was a big deal from the perception standpoint uh, of the recruiting aspect of things. Um, it, it's been interesting to me, Darren, because all the when, when I was asked about Sam Howell a couple weeks ago, I would always say, you know, the context clues are there that, that he was going to be good. You know, he has the physical ability. He has a strong arm. He can move well enough. Um, he's worked really, really hard and putting in the extra time in the film room and around Keenan Football Center, which I, I think is a big reason why he was able to earn this job. And, and, and he's just so calm. And he's calm off the field. He's calm in the huddle. He's calm on the field. You don't notice a huge change in his demeanor, whether or not he's been sacked or, or he just threw uh, a big touchdown pass. And so that's the part to me that, that has been a little bit surprising is that that calmness has stayed even in these really pressure-filled situations. You saw it in the preseason. Um, you thought it was going to be there, but you just didn't know for sure until you saw it happen. But to lead Carolina on a 98 and a 95-yard touchdown drive in the fourth quarter to come back to beat South Carolina, then to lead the team down the field on a 75-yard touchdown drive, including converting a fourth and 17, you know, th those things don't happen all the time. And so when you have somebody who is able to keep uh, that level of calmness and keep his head about him no matter what is happening around him, that's a terrific trait to have when you're a quarterback, especially a young guy who hasn't necessarily experienced those things at this level before. And so um, Sam Howe has some improvements to make, of course. He's a young player, and he'll get better every single week. But, but the potential that he has, the future that Carolina feels like they have at that position is pretty darn exciting if you're a Tar Heel for sure. Uh, the freshman quarterback was 16 of 24, 274 through the air and a couple of scores, including, of course, the eventual game winner, Jones Angel, voice of the Tar Heels, is with us. Uh, and just as I asked you about Sam Howell's impact, uh, in a way, it's obvious Mac Brown's impact, right? 2-0, and great start to the season, uh, sellout crowds, that sort of thing. I think everyone expected as much as far as the jolt in recruiting, the amped up atmosphere at Keenan Stadium, just the general buzz around his hire. That was all to be expected. What can you tell us about the difference that Mac Brown has made in more of an X and O in-game situation? Because it's not often that a guy comes in uh, I mean, he's a unique situation anyways, Mac is, but it's it, it can't be that often that the first two games of a season are won on fourth quarter comebacks. And, I mean, that, that's got as much to do with coaching as anything. Yeah, I think a couple things, Darren, I'll try to be fast because I want to say a lot on, on the back end of that, is, you know, one thing I think Mac Brown has done very, very well is, and his staff, is instill confidence in this team. And, and I think that's something that was sorely lacking for the Tar Heels over the last couple of seasons, and it's understandable. You know, I mean, with five losses by a touchdown or less a season ago, to, to continuously seemingly have these uh, negative things happen late in games, and whether it was 
you know, a key penalty or a key turnover or dropping a pass or, or the other team makes a great play to win the game. It just seemed like it kept happening, kept happening, kept happening. And so to be able to instill confidence in the players, I, I think is a skill. And, and then to see it validated so quickly with the success against South Carolina and then the success against Miami, really good teams that you're in close games with late and to be able to step up and be the team that, that makes the key plays to win the game. Um, and that, that is coaching instilling confidence in the players and then the players going out and making it happen. So I do think that is a direct on-the-field result for Mac Brown being the head coach of the Tar Heels. As far as the more kind of X and O part of it, I think you look more to the two coordinators that he hired, which have, in my opinion, and we're talking about two games here, but they, they've been excellent hires. And Phil Longo on the offensive side and Jay Bateman on the defensive side. And Mac Brown had a very clear vision for what he wanted offensively, and he has said it before. A lot of your listeners may have heard it, that he wanted that air raid passing concept but he did not want to give up the ability to run the football and to run it physically uh, when that was needed. And so I think Phil Longo has done a nice job balancing those two things, particularly right now when the strength of the Tar Heels is still that running back spot on offense. You, you've got some really talented guys and multiple players there who can carry the football. So you don't want to forget about them, even though you also have a quarterback that's blooming some and, and good receivers and, and a pass game that, that you feel good with. So he had a very clear vision for that. And, and then on the defensive side, what I love about the Jay Bateman hire is, you know, Jay Bateman, of course, was at Army before he came to Carolina. And, and you know, Army had some really good numbers and very good defensive performances. But I think everybody understands that the, the guys who are playing at Army are, are not as athletic. Their football is not necessarily their number one focus all the time because they've, they've got some other things that they've committed to that, that are more important. And so, but he was still able to put them in the right place and have them be so successful. And I think that was part of the thinking when that hire was made was, look, this is a team that has some talent on the defensive side, but doesn't have the depth it wants right now on, on that side of the ball. How can we make sure we get a coach that that's going to give these guys the best chance to win while they continue, they being the staff continues to build up, the, the talent and depth on that side of the ball. So you find somebody who's done it before, and, and Jay Bateman has done an excellent job with that. He is as uh, he is as cerebral a defensive coordinator with the different things that he does, the different pressures that he brings, the different positions he puts guys in, um, as I think there is in the country. Uh, just two terrific hires for Mac Brown at those coordinator spots, which has, of course, the direct uh, the direct result as far as the X and O's on the field. For sure. Uh, Jones Angel, voice of the Tar Heels, is with us. And last thing for you, Jones, uh, Mac Brown came on this show with DG last week prior to the Miami game and said that he wanted people to stop talking about 1997 Florida State as the loudest Keenan Stadium has ever been. How did Saturday's sellout crowd compare? Well, I was at that 97 Florida State game as a student, so I have to tell you how long ago <laughs> it was, Darren. And, uh, of course, Mac Brown was, was there on the sidelines, and I think he has correctly said um, that, that this atmosphere was better than that atmosphere. And a big reason for that is the game was better. You know, that game back in 97, the, the buildup to it was incredible. The beginning was incredible. Um, but Florida State was incredible that, uh, that game <laughs> that year. And eventually wore the Tar Heels down and won that game. I think it was twenty to three, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. So it wasn't necessarily a, a, and the game was not even a 
uh, may indicate. So I, I think the energy went down a little bit as that game went on and because of Florida State. This particular game, it, it, you have to juxtapose it with what Carolina – the last time Carolina was in the stadium was against NC State. The stadium was not very full. There were a lot of opposing fans there. It was an ugly scene at the end of the game. And so to then all of a sudden you have this atmosphere where people are there early. Every seat is filled. Uh, the energy was high from the very start, and the energy stayed high from start to finish. Um, it was an unbelievably uh, good ball game between good uh, two good teams, and, and I think the crowd made a difference. It, the players have said it. The coaches have said it. The crowd made a difference and helped Carolina win that game. And so, you know, I think Carolina football fans, Darren, in my opinion, get a bad rap. They, people say, oh, Tar Heels, you know, they're worried about basketball, and it, it's not true. I, Carolina fans desperately want to be successful in this sport. And, and you saw it on Saturday night that when the, the hope is there to be successful, when they're starting to see the results on the field, when they have this energy because of everything that's happening uh, around the program in recruiting, all those things, that they are as invested and into it as anybody in this state and anybody in the country. And, and you saw it on Saturday night. It was an electric atmosphere, and the Tar Heels are hoping to do that every single time they're in Keenan this year. It was, uh, without a doubt, a fun environment to witness. We were there with our big tailgate tour, so uh, uh, we saw it from, from just about every angle. I even tuned in to you uh, for the play-by-play call a little bit while I was and up so in the press box. no clue what was going on, but at least you figured out what the final score was. It sounded exciting. That's, that's the main thing. You kept me interested. Uh, I would imagine it had I not been there to experience it in person. So, uh, Jones, appreciate you always and uh, appreciate the time here on the David Glenn Show today. No problem, Darren. Tell GG I said hello and look forward to talking to you guys again soon. Absolutely. Will do. That's Jones Angel, play-by-play voice of the North Carolina Tar Heels. As, uh, man, it was crazy at Keenan Stadium. And, and, and the, as far as the comparison to 1997 Florida State is concerned, look, I wasn't there. I was a kid in 97. Jones said he was in college. So uh, I would imagine it's something like with our big tailgate tour, we in consecutive years went to App State for them hosting, oddly enough, Miami, and then the following year hosting Wake Forest. Well, Miami – was such a big get for App State. And Kid Brewer Stadium was crazy. They added extra seating so that they could break their attendance record. They did. It was wild. The buildup to it was crazy and had a lot of buzz around it. But by halftime, that game was over. Whereas the following year, Wake Forest, you get sort of the local flavor of that big rivalry matchup, bringing it into Boone. And it was a game that came down to the wire, down to a field goal at the final seconds. So the crowd was there for the entirety of the game, and they ended up breaking their attendance record uh, two years in a row with that. So I would imagine that's something along the lines of what Jones was trying to describe between 1997 Florida State at UNC and Saturday night's matchup Miami at UNC. On the other side, we're going to continue talking some college football. Chip Patterson of CBS Sports will drop by as he was in Austin, Texas this weekend for LSU Texas. The Longhorns took a loss at the hands of the Tigers of the SEC. Chip Patterson is up next. Darren Vaught filling in for DG on the David Glenn Show. 
Kurt Busch is joining us, 38-year-old champion of the Daytona 500. I went out with Gronk last night after uh, after we won the race. Did you and really? Also, it was fun. Got about an hour's sleep. I asked him, I go, hey, when do you have to report to training camp? He goes, July. I said, well, we can't be friends because i got to <laughs> go back to racing. Stay with us on the David Glenn Show. You're killing me with the bump music today. This is great. Welcome back into the David Glenn Show. Darren in for DG as he is out playing golf, but I will remind you, it's for the kids. Carolina Hurricanes Foundation does a lot of good in the community. DG helping out with that cause for certain. As we continue to dissect the football weekend, and now bring in Chip Patterson of CBSSports.com. Uh, Chip, welcome back to the David Glenn Show, man. How are you? I am fantastic. It is great to be with you on this fine, uh, best and worst of the weekend Monday. I love it. I love it. All right. What well, we, we should start is, does Austin qualify your trip there to check out LSU at Texas? Does that qualify as a best of the weekend? It might go. It will probably go down as one of the best of the season, and <laughs> uh, it'll. Pro, it, I don't know. It might go down as one of my favorite trips of weekend trips of the year. Like the the only downside. I mean, it was it was extremely hot. One hundred actual degrees, heat in, indices of the like one hundred five, one ten. But Whew. you know, who am I to complain? <laughs> A top ten matchup in an iconic college town. Fifty thousand LSU fans traveled in from Louisiana. Like wow. it was it was cool because those two programs, you think about Texas and Louisiana and the, you know, familiarity and the proximity that's right there, but they really don't play all that much. This was only the eighteenth time that they had played and it has this really fun uh, you know, almost like championship boxer thing because it's the true on campus home and home. They played this year in Austin. They play next year in Baton Rouge. And so the players will all get to face off again. We get a rematch in the very near future. It is, it's really, in my opinion, so much better than a lot of the neutral site kickoff games that we get. I would take uh, the atmosphere that we had in Austin for the entire weekend of Texas LSU over uh, some, of the, some of the kickoff games any day. Man, that's incredible. And it was such a good game, it seemed like. I mean, we were tied up with some other ACC matters, but uh, 45 to 38, the final score, LSU. And it was a real, really high scoring second half as well. So a lot of that damage was done late. Uh, LSU is a team that entered that matchup ranked fourth in the national picture. But I feel like just because of Alabama and, and Georgia earning their seat at the table in recent years, LSU sometimes gets overlooked as a, a as a playoff contender or, or something close to that. Uh, where do you think they figure in to the, the big national mix this year? Well, this is, I mean, it is the evolution of the offense. So for those who haven't followed the LSU story, uh, they made a, a hire of Joe Brady from the New Orleans Saints. And when he came in, uh, he brought in the idea of an up-tempo, no-huddle approach at LSU, which for years under left miles was I-formation, line them up, run them downhill. It doesn't matter if you've got Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry on the outside. We're running the ball about 36 times per game. And what <laughs> Joe Burrow has done as a dynamic quarterback is he has turned this LSU offense into a tempo 
offense. And he, he came out and he told us after the game, look, we could have had 700 yards of offense. We left some, we left some stuff out there. And they had a, a big-time um, decision to make. As you, you mentioned, so much of that scoring being done in the second half, LSU led pretty much the whole way. And they had a decision where they could have decided to start running the ball to try and bleed clock, right? Like, let's just try to get out of here with a win. Let's yeah. preserve our lead. But they decided to keep going. They kept going no huddle. They kept going fast. They kept throwing the ball. And they kept scoring touchdowns. Then Texas would get the ball back. And then they would score a touchdown. And then LSU would do it time and time again. And I think that aggressive philosophy helped LSU win that game at a time where Tom Herman and his Texas quarterback, Sam Ellinger, they had made some adjustments where they all of a sudden started getting the best of an LSU defense that we normally count on to lead the way. So as LSU is going through this sort of identity shift into embracing an up-tempo, wide-open, throw-it approach with Joe Burrow, now you're starting to click into pieces the idea that this is an LSU team that isn't going to have the same state that we've seen through much of the decade which is falling to Alabama and having to sort of get the scraps in the SEC picture because of that loss to the Tide. Now you're starting to simulate it out in your head, and you're thinking, when has Alabama been beat? And you go back and you remember that Hugh Freeze and Ole Miss beat Alabama two years in a row with an up-tempo, no-huddle approach, right. the quarterback slinging it out to wide receivers, and you think, oh, my goodness, this might be the year, this might be the quarterback we might see LSU beat Alabama. It's kind of crazy, too. Chip Patterson of CBSSports.com is with us. Uh, given LSU's quarterbacking history, they just seem to struggle to find really, really big difference makers. They've had a lot of steady guys behind center. But uh, it'll be for me, anyways, I'm fascinated to see how their season progresses. Uh, tricky question here because, Chip, neither is not an adequate answer. Of which team would you rather be a fan, Florida State or Tennessee? Tennessee, because at least the recruiting and sort of the infrastructure is a little bit more solid. People are very disappointed by the results on the field and the execution. And uh, Wes Rucker from 24-7 Sports who covers Tennessee. You know, he, he talked about losing being a virus. And this is a virus that's in the team. And it really might just take some time to be able to work itself out. I'm less confident in the infrastructure and sort of the behind-the-scenes unity and cohesion at Florida State. And so, you know, Tennessee, it hurts more because you've got generations and generations of Vols fans that have been waiting to return to the, the national championship picture. But I think Florida State... I would not want to be Florida State almost because of how recently they won a national championship. It almost makes it almost makes the losing sting just a little bit more. Like Tennessee, Tennessee's had seasons where they didn't go to bowl games. And yeah. prior to last year, Florida State hadn't had a season like that in 40 years. So I, I would rather be Tennessee because at least the frustrations are a little more familiar. I think the befuddling. Uh, execution and the befuddling performances by four and five star players on Saturdays wearing the garnet and gold is something that I want no part of. Uh, well, in discussing the Willie Taggart era here, I mean, he's got a, a, a huge buyout from what I understand. Um, is there a chance he doesn't make it through season number two as Florida State's coach? 
I think you have to always entertain that there's a chance. Right. But I think that they don't uh, – I don't think they make the move without at least a better idea, with, without at least some um, some momentum. And, and what it's going to take to get momentum is going to get everybody on the same page. I mean, this is – DG has probably discussed this um, at some point, but one of the things that happened at, at Florida State, even before Jimbo Fisher left, and in my opinion – contributed to making that decision to leave for Texas A&M a little bit easier was the fact that he not everyone was on the same page from university president to the athletic director to the head of the boosters. And when you've got everybody on the same page, then you can make things happen. You can make things happen for the good in terms of being able to pull together money and resources to give a head coach uh, what he oh the head coach is the fourth part of it. It's the quadrant of power in uh, modern college football. You got to have your university president, your athletic director, your boosters, and your head coach. Yep. Everybody's got to be on the same page. At Florida State, my sort of uh, my view of it. Granted, I'm not in Tallahassee, but my view of it is that you don't have you don't really have enough of enough cohesion or enough of those quadrants on the same page to have anything good happen. But I don't know if you've got everybody pulled together enough either to be able to get the resources together to make a head coaching change or to be you know, in the athletic director university president position of wanting to go through the process of finding a new coach. I would imagine that if Willie Taggart, uh, if Willie Taggart ends up leaving, let's say before the end of the third year, if at the end of three years, He's got no bowl appearances. Well, then I think that that might even be introduced as a mutually parting of ways. Sure. But for for something that I would consider premature uh, in terms of a change at head coach, I would hope that they've at least got an idea of uh, who they've got. They would have a target in mind and sort of work that out because Florida State right now is things things are just so startling startlingly startlingly toxic that I don't even know if I was a head coach on the rise or even an experienced head coach looking for uh, a good job. I don't know how attractive that job is right now. Chip Patterson of CBS Sports is with us. Uh, Chip, closer to home, final question for you before we let you go on your way. My understanding is you're heading to the optometrist. Um, So Godspeed with that. But I've asked the question because I think it's interesting – in that, to me, North Carolina was not going to be a part of this discussion at the onset of this college football season. But they're 2-0. and NC State is 2-0. and Wake Forest is 2-0. and And Duke is 1-1 and with its only loss being to Alabama, which no one expected them to win. And then they trounced what I think many expected to be a tough FCS opponent in North Carolina A&T. As of right now, what's the best big four college football team? I, if, if someone's listening to this interview and they missed the first hour, I would encourage them to go get the podcast because you introduced a topic that uh, I'll give you credit for, but I'm definitely going to you know, <laughs> steal it at some point. But but to introduce the the blind resume concept at right now because I you know you talk about among the the big four schools if you just strip off all the names and say Team A has wins against South Carolina and Miami, you know. Where does Team A rank? And that the blind resume suggests, like, oh my goodness, like that is definitely the best team. And you could even take that out to the ACC. And I wouldn't take South Carolina and Miami 
over Texas A&M and Georgia Tech. I think that blind resume, which, of course, is a spoiler alert, the Clemson Tigers, <laughs> right. I, I, I would still take that one over South Carolina and Miami. But South Carolina and Miami on a blind resume test is, are you know wins that will stack up against you know some of the top top 25, top 15 teams in the country. But then there's also you know because we are still here in the early part of the season, and the, like you got to be able to also understand the personnel and understand what we've come to know about a program. And yeah. that's where I think that I think that I still lean NC State and Wake Forest. If you're asking me to pick now i would probably have one of those two teams um and i would feel more comfortable selecting them to finish the season with more wins or perhaps with a better acc record and i love the fact that we get even though it is a non-conference game i just love the fact that we get north carolina and wake forest this weekend because i i think that's going to be a really competitive game and i think we're going to learn a whole lot more about both of these teams wake forest coming off a high-scoring win against Utah State that had some mistakes and then a just absolutely dominant win on the road at Rice. Uh, you know, NC State, as we mentioned, has done everything, that, everything that's been asked of them. They've done, yep. they have executed. They have taken care of business. I believe, in general, that if we throw you know, those three teams into simulations, that NC State and Wake Forest would end up slightly ahead. But, you know, based on what we've seen so far, if we're only taking on-field uh, on field performances and opponent strength into consideration, North Carolina has been uh, the most impressive. So I'm with you. Did not think North Carolina would be a part of the conversation. I acknowledge and recognize that they are. However, I think that if I'm having to imagine the way that this is going to get played out through the season, I have a little bit more confidence in NC State and Wake Forest. Chip Patterson of CBSSports.com. Uh, appreciate it, man. Yeah, Darren, anytime. Y'all be well. <laughs> All right, that's Chip of CBSSports.com. Still to come here on the David Glenn Show, BG, Brian Geisinger of ACCSports.com and the ACC Sports Journal hanging out with me in studio. Darren Vaught, in for DG. You're listening to the David Glenn Show. Rob Schneider joining us on the David Glenn Show. When they try to have three days of the NFL draft on TV, my friend said, hey, you going to watch the NFL draft? That's like getting excited about a strip club that's still under construction. <laughs> like you see that building over there in a couple of months? There's going to be some breasts in there. You're listening to the David Glenn Show. That's a wrap on hour two of the David Glenn Show. Darren Vaught in for DG today. Still to come... My guy, BG, Brian Geisinger of ACCSports.com and the ACC Sports Journal, Sports Channel 8, BuzzBeat Podcast, among others, is with us in studio. Hoops and college football with BG. That's next. Background of the University of North Carolina. We got to win now. Let's don't start looking at rebuilding. Let's don't talk about how bad we are. Let's don't talk about we're not better than anybody. Let's figure out how to win. And that's what we've done. And, and the Coastal, because it's been up in the air every year, why shouldn't we have a chance? Keep it dialed in to the David Glenn Show.